Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to take a familiar portion of Scripture, a little story, and put a little different twist on it. It's the story of the lame man and Peter and John in Acts 3. Here it is. It's on the screen. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now this story, you know, most of the time when I have heard it talked about or preached about in the church, The focus is always on Peter and John, especially Peter. It's like as if the story is about Peter. You know, silver and gold have I none, such as I have give I thee, rise up and walk. You know, it's all about Peter's faith. But actually, I think the story is about the lame man. It's the lame man's story. Peter and John just happen to walk up on the lame man's story of his life. And if you buy into that, then you understand that some of the lessons that we are to extract from this story are not just from Peter's faith, but the lame man's condition. And when I thought of that that way, then all of a sudden I began to see the lame man as all of a sudden I had noticed or seen a lot of people in my church and all down through the years. And that is this way. Think of the lame man. The lame man was lame right? He was suffering. He was struggling. He was stuck in a cycle, you know, of defeat and failure, but he was right in the middle of the people of God. He was right there where everybody was congregating, fellowshipping, going to church on Sunday morning, getting ready to hear a great word. You know, you know, you know the band was pumping, you know, the, everything was happening. And this man was struggling in the midst of the house of God. When I th- that hit me, then I went back to this thought that's plagued me many times for years as a pastor, and that is that how in the world, as much as I preach faith and a life of victory and believe in, in the power of God and pray for the sick and miracles and all those things, how in the world can people, so many people, struggle with an endless cycle, you know, in the midst of the house of God when there's such a spirit of victory in the house? Because my passion is any pastor's, good pastor's heart, his passion is not just that the majority of the people walk in victory, but every single person walk in victory. No, that no one struggle financially or physically in their body or in their marriage or with their kids or their job or, you know, you name it, right? But the honest truth is we do struggle. And whenever we, we admit that, then we begin to identify with the lame man in this way. I thought, what was, what was going on in the lame man's mind 
that really was causing him to not be able to get out of his struggle for so long. And here's the things I came up with. Are you ready? Number one is this. I began to realize the man had come to the point where he was lame so long that he was, lame was not only something that was happening to him, but lame was something that he had become to identify himself with. In other words, he had begun to let his problems define who he was. Can I tell you this? Listen, one of the most important things you need to understand as far as walking victory is don't let what you're going through define what goes through you. I just knocked my glasses off there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Shake that bush again. Glory to God. You say, go home and say, was the preacher, was he fire and fire? He said, well, I don't know, but he knocked his glasses off, so he must have been some. Listen, don't let what you're going through define what goes through you. Do you understand the difference? In other words, victory is not something that happens to you. Victory is something that happens in you on the inside. It's not the atmosphere around you. It's the atmospheric condition on the inside of your brain, your, your soul, your psyche. You all with me now? Spiritually. And I begin to realize this happens to people that it's one thing when you struggle just for a short time. Maybe in your physical body with pain. Maybe it's financially you struggle a short time. You know, maybe, in, who knows, your job or whatever. When you struggle a short time, then you come out unscathed. You come out unscathed in, in your psyche, you know, in your emotions, in your spiritual life. You know, it, it doesn't have a lasting effect on you. But something begins to happen when the battle doesn't end in a day or a week or a month. You all out there today. Something changes on the inside of us. We don't want it to change. We don't mean for it to change. We don't even know it changed when it did change. But something happened to us along the way of our struggle lasting a long time that begins to change the way we see ourselves where we begin to define ourselves by the problem that's, go that's going on in our life. Are you with me now? It struck me that this man was in a... Uh, its Bible says that they laid him at the gate called beautiful. Now, now listen, if you know anything about biblical interpretation, you know there's a simple little principle that goes like this. If it's in the Bible, it's in there for a reason. That's deep, ain't it, huh? In other words, if God said he was laid at a gate and he chose to name the gate, the gate called beautiful, then you can be guaranteed God has something to say about the name of that gate that's a lesson for our lives. What is the lesson? The lesson is this. This man was going through a horrible situation in the midst of a beautiful place. What was God saying? Have you ever struggled with an ugly problem in a beautiful place? You probably don't know it because what happens is, is whenever we go through a prolonged battle, let's say, for example, let's say, for example, financially, you go through this long battle, it doesn't last or end in a week or a month or even a year, and you struggle for years. What happens is, is we begin to lose sight of the beautiful things around us, and we begin to see all the beauty in our life through the lens of our problem instead of seeing our problem through the lens of all the beauty in our life. Why in the world do you think Peter had to say, oh, I like this. Woo! Listen, uh, hallelujah. 
Why in the world do you think Peter had to say, look at us? Why do you have to say, look at us? Because Peter and John were up here. The man had struggled so long, the longer he struggled, the lower he put his head. Here's the way beggars are. Their hand is out, but their head is down. And Peter had to say, man, I'll never be able to get this breakthrough, this miracle to you until you first stop looking at your problem and defining everything in the world by what you're going through. Until you lift up your head and start seeing all the beauty is out there and then, and then, and then see your problem through all the beauty that's going on. Can I tell you this? One of the scriptures that's meant so much to me through so many battles down through the years is that little passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, uh, where it says that he, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Why in the world did he have to say that? It's because there's a lot of ugliness through seasons of struggle or adversity, long battles. There's some ugliness there. But God wants us to know no matter how big or bad the ugliness, that there's always a beauty. There's beauty for every season. There's something beautiful in every season. In a season of loss. There's terrible pain, but it's amazing. I've seen some of the richest beauty in the midst of a moment of loss. Some of the best things come. And the thing is, is that we've got to lift our head and see that. Maybe you're struggling for a long time financially, but yet you've got your family. You've got your health. Maybe you're struggling with your health, but you've got a roof over your head. You've got some friends. You with me? In other words, focus on what you got, not on what you had. Not, what you had. Y'all listen to me now. Oh, I love that. Because what happens is when you allow yourself to be defined by your problem or what you're going through, then the problem no longer becomes just something that's happening to you. Your problem becomes you. You're not just a person who is lame. You're a lame man. You're not, you're not just experiencing poverty. You're poor. You're with me now. You haven't had, just had a failure. You are a failure. Are you with me now? So lift up your heads and look. Lift up your heads and look. Hey! I love this because, listen, there's a very powerful lesson in this that if you don't, let me, can I say this to To do what I'm telling you now, you're going to have to fight for it. It's not going to happen automatically. You're going to have to doggedly fight for this attitude. You're going to have to say to the devil, no, you may be, staying, you may be messing with my goods right now, but you're not going to get my faith. When Job had everything taken away, the kids were gone, the house the livelihood, his own, all of his health. It's like there was, wasn't much beauty at all, it seemed, to look at around him. And Job makes this great statement. He says, though God slay me, yet I will trust him. And I've heard preachers argue over that theologically, that whether he was theologically correct, will God slay you or will God not slay you? And folks, listen, they're idiots. 
They don't get it. The Job was not a professor in a seminary class teaching a doctrinal lesson on the sovereignty of God and human suffering. He was a man who was experiencing severe pain and loss. And out of his deep pain, there was this cry of commitment to God saying, I don't know what's going on. If this is the devil or God or me. All I know is no matter what happens, though God slay me, yet I will trust him. It was a, ah, I like that. It was a commitment. I'm not, the devil may be messing out here, but I'm not letting the devil get on the inside of here. It's the same commitment. Y'all get anything out of this today? Hey, well, I'm enjoying it myself. I'll tell you right now. It's the same faith that the three Hebrew children were displaying whenever Nebuchadnezzar was going to throw them in the fiery furnace. And they say to them this great statement. I've, I've analyzed this in, for long periods of time. Where they said to him, they said, listen, you know what? If you do throw us in the fire, God is going to rescue us. We know that. And he says, but if God doesn't rescue us, then let it be known to you, O Nebuchadnezzar, that we will not worship your gods. And boy, that thing explodes on the inside of me. That's exactly the posture that we are to have. The posture is, look, when we're going through this battle, God is going to deliver us. You never stop believing for the breakthrough. God is looking for faith in every situation. You always believe that God is going to bring you through. But there was this other side where they said, look, our faith is aggressively out there believing God for a miracle. And we believe it's going to happen. But let it be known, even if it doesn't, we're not going to let the devil steal our faith. Isn't that beautiful? Wow, that drives the devil nuts. It's like it just drives him nuts. Now, so anyway, the reason this is so important is because one of the things that God values so much in our lives is the spirit of a child. Every one of us are to have a childlike spirit. I always tell people, if you want to mess life up, just grow up. Become one of those stupid adults. Said, grow up. We are, I don't want to ever grow up. The Bible says, Jesus said, when he puts a little child on his lap, he said, unless you receive the kingdom of God as a little child, you will by no means enter it. And I begin to realize that God looks for us in, in our lives. He looks for a spirit of a child in us. And what happens is, is whenever we go through stuff and we let stuff cause us to become cynical and jaded, we lose that sense of mystery and wonder and innocence about life. You see, children, listen, kids have three characteristics. They have innocence, they have mystery and wonder. They live, they're innocent. Meaning they, no, you know, you can take my toys today and I'll still play with you tomorrow. When we grow up, 
you take my toys and I'll never play with you again. Are you with me now? There's this sense of innocence. And there's this sense of mystery and wonder. Folks, listen to me. I beg of you. No matter what you've been through in life, don't let it rob you of that, of that beautiful edge on your faith, that spirit of joy in your heart. Are you all with me now? Hallelujah. To where you lose that spirit of a child. We're to be like a child. Think about it. A child lives with a sense of mystery and a sense of wonder. It's like, ah, everything is, ah. You know, we feel obligated to do this with kids. We all do it. You have a kid, right? And so you, what do you do? You got to throw the kid up. You just got to do it. You throw them up in the air. And when you throw them in the air, they go, ah. And then when they come back down, you catch them. And as soon as you catch them, what do they say? Do it again. So you throw them up in the air again. They go, ah. You catch them. Ah. You catch them. Ah. You just do over and over and over again. Finally, after about 50 times, you're wore out. And you say, listen, you act like you've never done this before. Like it's your very first time. What's the matter with you? If a spirit of a child, a child, when you have a spirit of a child, everything you experience, even if you've experienced it a thousand times, there's this sense of, ah, the way that we should live life, folks, to be honest with you, is waking up in the morning and we look at God and say, God, throw the sun up in the air. And he throws it in the air and we go, ah. And then it comes back down in the evening. We say, do it again, God. And he does it again tomorrow. Are you with me? There's nothing in the world like living like a child. Don't ever lose your, your belief that the best days are ahead of you. See, some of those things, when you say them, it's like people think them to be like shadow, like positive thinking, you know, metaphysical ideas, you know, but they're not. This is biblical truth. God says, I know the plans that I have for you, a hope and a future and expected in. When you have a spirit of a child, it means that you continue to trust people. Even though you've been misused, abused, betrayed. Can I tell you this? Listen, so many people make the mistake of after a few betrayals, they start closing up their heart and they say, I'm not going to trust to that level again. I'm not going to open myself that wide again because I'm not going to risk being hurt. And can I tell you this? To any degree that you close up your heart and quit trusting in people again, to that degree you've begun to die on the inside of your soul. We are made for one thing, and that is for loving. And when you cease lo loving, you cease living. Are you all with me today? Wow. So anyway, it's like, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, not a kid, but a young minister pastoring our church, I'd had these guys come to our church, older guys, because I always wanted to hear what the older guys had to say. And, and so they would come, and I was disappointed because every one of them that came, they had a good message, but there was, there was just something about their spirit. 
It's like that it was stale, kind of jaded. They were jaded and a little cynical about everything, you know, and they, even a little crusty and smelly. You know, it's like, it's like, and it's like, I thought, God, do I have to be like that when I grow up to be old and go through a bunch of stuff? And then one day, I had the opportunity of having, inviting our, one of my great heroes of the 20th century, one of the greatest preachers, men of God, and that was this guy named T.L. Osborne. And he came to our church, and I'll never forget, by that time he was about 80 years old. He had been through as much or more than all those other guys had. But when he got up there at the pulpit, it's like his favorite word was wow. Everything was wow, you're beautiful. Wow, isn't God wonderful? And I thought, God, that's what I want. When I get to be an old guy, I want to grow old. Having gone through all the stuff I've gone through, but come out on the other side with that sense of that, wow, isn't God good? Wow, aren't people beautiful? Wow, isn't life wonderful? Wow. Till Osborne, we kind of hit it off, and we, so he invited me to come to his house in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was so thrilled to be invited to his house. He said, let's spend the day together studying the Bible. I flew to Tulsa, Oklahoma. When I arrived, I got a car, rented a car. On the way to his house, all the way in the car, I was reciting what I was going to say to this great man of God. T.L. Osborne, I'm so honored to be here. A young pastor like me, to think that you would invite me. And oh, you're so wonderful. I appreciate you. Thank you. I mean, I was reciting all this. When I got to his door, I rang this doorbell. And when I did, he answers the door. And when he answers the door, he throws the door open. He's about 80 years old. Throws the door open. Before I had a chance to say anything, he jumps out of the door and grabs me in a big bear hug and just starts shaking me back and forth like this. And here's what he says. He says, oh, Rick Shelton, God must love me today to send a great young pastor like you to visit an old man like me. I felt, I just felt like a worm, you know, felt melted. I just melted. I thought, God, that's the way I want to be. That's the way I want to be. Folks, can I tell you this? There are a lot of things that you can't stop from happening to you. But you have full control over what goes on on the inside of you. You can control every thought that you have. You can control the words of your mouth. You can control your attitude. You can control your emotions. You can't control things out there, but you can control what goes on in here. And can I tell you this? Victory is defined not by what goes on out there, but by what goes on in here. You with me now? Look, these messages I preach like this, it's like these things are born out of out of the fires of my own experience. And I tell people this basically is not to say anything about me, but, but as an example, I believe at this season of my life, this is one of the things that I'm supposed to bring to the body of Christ because of what I've been through to tell them what God can do and how you don't have to let it change you. Because I've been through stuff, let's just put it this way, in my lifetime... I've been through enough things that if I told them over the next hour, we would all be crying and be real depressed when we leave this place. But 
I was one of the things that happened is in I in 1999 I crashed physically to such a degree that I was basically resigned to stay in my house most all the time for the next six and a half years. It took me six and a half years to get out. It's like I've got this six and a half year hole cut out of my, of my life. This black hole, and a year into that whole experience, I also started having severe anxiety attacks. Now me, a guy who was strong, bold, never afraid of anything, I felt reduced to, to rubble, you know. What's wrong with me? Couldn't hardly leave my house. Six and a half years of that. And during those years, I had to fight. I thought, God, I remember many times thinking, God, I don't know how long this is going to last. I can't control what's happening to me. But God, when I come out of this, bring me out without this thing tainting my soul. Are you with me now? A lot of people go through stuff, but after they come out, you can tell they've been through something. They don't even have to tell. You can tell. You can say they've been through something. My goal is to live life in a way to where no matter what I've been through, you can't tell I've been through anything. Hey! Hallelujah! Right now, for the last five years, I, I live with pain 24 hours a day, including right now, through deteriorating discs in my neck. There's nothing really they can do about it. 24 hours a day. Don't ever feel like getting on a plane, especially going across the world. But as I tell you that, I say this. I say that to say that if I had not told you that, you would never know it. And it's not because I'm anything special or great. I'm telling you, I have very much have feet of clay. I have a lot of flaw, faults and flaws. But what I tell you is this, and that is that I have learned to trust God to the degree that I will not allow that stuff, even the pain that I'm going through, to define my attitude are you with me now? Hallelujah. Which brings me to the next thing. Next thing is this. is The next thing about the layman is this, and that is that um, I forgot what it was. It was really good, but it was. Uh, here's what it was. It's interesting how the layman built a routine around his struggle. And what I mean is this. The layman couldn't do anything about being lame. He, he didn't choose to be lame. But he did choose a life of begging. Are you with me now? So what he, his lameness was what he was going through. His begging was the lifestyle that he had built around his struggling to accommodate what he was going through. You say, well, what's wrong with that? And I say, everything. Because when you begin to change what you do, where you go, the people you hang out, the things you do, when you start pulling things inward and start buttoning down the hatches to where that your whole routine is designed to facilitate and accommodate what you're going through, 
then you have ceased living. You know, one part of our story is, is that, you know, years ago, my oldest son told, came one day, or he didn't tell me, but we actually found him because he's on drugs, and he was addicted to them. And the thing is, is he was on meth, and the thing is, is that for the next 20 years, my son was a meth addict, 20 years. And here I am, good, godly Christian man, a pastor on top of it. And here I've got a son who's a drug addict selling drugs to feed his drug habit. And my wife and I lived, listen, every day with the pain of that thing in our soul. When, you have, when you're living with a drug addict, it's like every day of your life there's a new drama. There's something going with, I'm either going and getting him out of jail, going to court with him, going and getting him off the street in the middle of the night, driving down to get him out of a drug dealer's house that was going to threaten to kill him. On and on and on and on. Every day was such pain for us. I didn't realize it, but over time what happened is my wife and I had begun to let our lives revolve so much around our son's struggle that we began to develop a lifestyle to accommodate what our son was going through. What I mean is we stopped, we stopped going out to eat. We stopped going out and hanging out with friends. We didn't go, we, you know, just stopped a lot of things. We started staying home. We, we quit laughing. It's like, how in the world can you laugh whenever your son's going through this? And we didn't realize it, but over time, we built a whole lifestyle around our son's struggle. Until the Lord spoke, and it was, we were dying inside. And our son was getting nothing but worse. And I remember one day I was praying, the Lord spoke to me. He said, Rick, he said, you need to change your lifestyle. I said, what do you mean, Lord? He said, your lifestyle has been developed around what your son is going through. He said, you need to understand that you can't change your son by you getting in the ditch yourself. And you know what? The Lord told me, he said, you got Donna, you and Donna begin to live again. Love your son, pray for him, but don't let your life be defined and your, your routine be defined what your son's going through. We started doing that, going out, doing things, hanging out with friends. We started laughing again. We said, we'll love him, we'll pray for him, but we're just gonna, we're gonna have a good time in life and go on. And you know what? As a parent, it's like that send that seemed like contradictory to being a good parent. Like, but, but the thing is, is that, well, can I tell you this? I, I didn't just feel this right now. I wasn't going to say this, but I feel this. I'm saying this to somebody. Listen, you've got to know, listen, you've raised those kids. You weren't perfect. Yeah, you could have done things better. All of us could because there's no handbook on it. I mean, come on, give me, why didn't they give us a blasted handbook on this thing when we had kids? There's not, you did the best you could, your kids are making their own decisions, and can I tell you this, it's not your fault, and you cannot allow yourself to live under the pain. 
of the consequences of their decisions. Do you know when my wife and I decide to live again and change our lifestyle, do you know within in the mat, with it, about another year or so, my son, after 20 years, he came back to the Lord, gave his heart to God, was completely delivered of drugs, and now that's been a little over two years ago. My son's been clean. Yeah! And my son, almost every day, he texts me what God has been speaking to him in his prayer time in the morning. It's the greatest thing in the world. Isn't that something? Isn't it interesting that he didn't change until we changed? Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. The last thing is this, and that is that when I look at the story of Peter, and how, I mean, Peter says to him, silver and gold have an uncertainty that I have given everything. And he takes him by the hand, rise up and walk, psh, pulls him. That thing all of a sudden hit me, and here's what I begin to realize. I say it this way. And that is that in order to break out any cycle of struggle that you've been in for a long time, a physical struggle, your marriage. Let's just take, for example, marriage. People have struggled in, in dysfunctional marriages so long Listen, that one problem happens is that you begin to treat the abnormal as normal. In other words, you begin to live like that's normal. And the moment the abnormal becomes normal to you, you cease having the ability to break out of it. And so anyway, here's what Peter did. So give me somebody like a young man. Can I have a young man? One of you young guys right here. Just in the, there you go. Come on up. You come up. What is your name? Daniel. Daniel. All right, Daniel. Good deal. Look at this. So Daniel is the lame man. And look at this. Here, I want you to just take all your face. And I want you to just go lay back down on the, just lay back like that. Now watch this. Look at this. So Daniel's the lame man. And I'm Peter and I come along. Listen to this. And it's so interesting because the lame man, the view the lame man had of his life and the view that Peter had for that man's life were two different things. Peter came to bring life change to get him up. The lame man was just looking for pocket change every day to get along. Are you, you all listen to me now? Too many people, listen, when we're young, when we're young, we're believing God to change the world. But when we get hit upside the head enough times, we, we get the stuffings knocked out of us and we quit praying to change the world and start praying just to make it through the week. Hey, can I tell you this? God has not designed for you to pray just get along prayers. He wants you to pray get up prayers. You with me now? Stop praying. Just, oh God, give us enough to make it through the week. Lord, help me endure this pain. Now, I've been in pain for five years, yeah, but my prayer is not, Lord, help me endure this pain. Every day it's God. I'm believing for a miracle. I'm believing, God, for your healing power to come. And it makes no difference how long it takes. Are you with me now? Hallelujah. Because I believe in praying get up prayers instead of get along prayers. I always believe this, that you're to pray. You okay down there? All right, good. I always believe this. I always believe this. Listen. Listen. 
that you should pray, you ready for this? You should pray prayers way beyond where you are right now. I mean, in Psalm 2, God says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your name. That's a big prayer. That's a lot different than, Lord, help us pay the house payment this month. We're to pray get up prayers. You say, yeah, but I do need the house payment this month. What about that? I'm going to tell you something. When you lift your eyes to the vision of praying big prayers, God prayers, universal prayers, purpose-fulfilling prayers, then it's amazing how the other things will be sorted out in your life. Y'all listen to me now. Ah, I'll never refuse to pray a big prayer. And they'll forget one night. I'll be with you in just a moment. Just hang on. I remember he's been lame a long time. You've got to understand. I remember one time getting a call. I was in my office, and it was a young man in our church, and he says, Pastor, my mom died last night. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, she died in her sleep. She was actually reading her Bible, and she still, her Bible is still in her hand. She died. Or actually going to sleep, I guess. And so anyway, and now here it is the next day, right? And so I said to the young man, I said, oh, I said, Michael, I'm, I said, I'm uh, so sorry. And I said, if there's anything I can do, please let me know. No, just name it. And he said to me, well, there is. I said, what? He said, you can come and raise her from the dead. <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> I said, what? He said, come raise her from the dead. I said, you said she died last night, right? And I'm thinking about all this, what's, what's the condition she's in. He said, I mean, you know, we all know God can raise somebody after about 30 seconds, but, you know, a whole day? I don't know how, I mean, and so anyway, but here's the thing that happened to me. Listen, and this is what I'm trying to get to you. I sat there in my office. I did not want to go pray for that woman. I didn't feel the faith at that moment to break for raising the dead. I wasn't ready for that. I did not, and everything in me did not want to go do that. But listen, in my spirit, there was this sense that would not allow me to refuse to pray a big prayer. No matter what happened, I was not going to refuse to pray a big prayer. Because I believe when you start reducing the size of your prayers, and you quit, you start refusing to pray the big prayers you used to pray, that gradually your faith becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. So I went that day. Along the way, I picked up one of my pastors who was off that day, and he got in the car, and I said, come go with me. He says, where are we going? I said, to pray for a woman. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, we got there. When we got there, there was police cars, a bunch of them all in the front of the house. The police were standing out in the yard. There was a paramedic there with the ambulance, and they were backed up to the front door. And I didn't know, but they were there ready to get her. But he said, no, my pastor's coming to raise her from the dead. So here walks in me with these eyes glaring at me, you know, it's like, and, and I walked, oh, I felt humiliated. I walked in, I prayed the best prayer, I prayed, prayed the best dead raising prayer that you could pray for 45 minutes, 
45 minutes and couldn't raise her from the dead. After 45 minutes, I said, well, let's just let her go on to be with Jesus. And I walked out of that house, looked at the paramedic, says, you can have her now. <laughs> and I walked on out. And here's the thing I want to tell you when I got in my car. I felt all kinds of things, a little humiliated, embarrassed, all these things. But because I would not refuse to pray a big prayer, there was something in my spirit that leaped up within me and says, yes, my belief that God is a big God is still intact. Hey, are you all with me now? So back to our layman. Here you are. Here's our layman. Listen. So anyway, listen. So Peter comes to layman and says, silver and gold, I don't have any such as I have. Give out thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. But the man didn't walk. And the Bible says that Peter pulled on him. Watch this. Peter pulled. Don't help me. You're lame. Come on, man, dude. <laughs> listen. Listen. He's, so Peter pulled on him. Pull on in the name of Jesus. Here's what was going on. I can guarantee you. You're still helping me. Don't help me, okay? <laughs> in the name of Jesus, rise up and come on, rise up. Oh, listen. And as he got about here, all of a sudden, the guy starts feeling something down in his legs. There's a tingling. Strength's coming. He gets up and he stands up and he starts jumping and leaping and praising God. Jumping and leaping and praising God. Give him a big hand clap. Come on. What's the point? The point is, you would think that God would give the man strength so he could stand up. But the man didn't get strength until he started standing. When Peter was pulling on him, he wasn't just pulling on him, he was pulling on his faith. He wasn't pulling him up, he was pulling his faith up. Do you all get that? The point is, is this, listen. You can't change what all is going on out there. But this moment, what you need to do is you need to start getting up in your spirit, in your soul, in your attitude right now. It may be a while before things change out there, but you've got to act like they've changed before they change. It's just a, it's a, it's a fact of biblical principle that you've got to put your faith there, your attitude Get the joy back in your heart. How would you act right now if right now the miracle that you're looking for had come or the breakthrough had come? You would be a totally different person. And faith in God requires us to live now, much like Abraham, to live now like I'm a father of many nations before I even have a child. Are you with me now? When you live that way, first of all, life is a whole lot happier. But secondly, what happens is, listen, it's one thing to fight an enemy out there. But it's very hard to fight the enemy out there when you let the enemy get on the inside of here. When depression, discouragement, a weakened faith, doubts, a bad attitude, cynical, cynicism, when all that creeps inside of your soul, it's the fruits of the enemy possessing your soul. 
And you can no longer change what's going on around you because you have the in enemy on the inside of the camp. So I'm challenging you today right now. Here's my call to you. Run the enemy out of the camp and say, Riz, right now, today, listen, I may not be able to change what's happening around me or what I'm going through. That's one thing. But I can change what's happening on the inside of here. And I am not going to live like I'm going through something. I'm going to live like God's promises are true and that he's faithful to them. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Yeah. I like that. Isn't that beautiful? The whole goal of my life now is to tell people, Listen, look, I've been through hell, all kinds of stuff. My goal is to show you, you can come out on the other side without the smell of smoke. You can come out with your joy. You can come out still like a kid. Are you listening to me now? You can come out on the other side still believing that God is great. Life is good and people are beautiful. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.